0: Welcome, Temple Baptist Church, uh, to our online service. Thank you for for tuning in. Uh, it's great to be here. Steve Adams couldn't be here this morning. He had to. He had some prior engagements, uh, and so he wasn't able to be here and give you the sermon. So you have me instead, uh, which I hope uh, I hope you're all happy about. And I'm going to do the, do the best I can right now. Uh, but Steve will be back next week where he'll be talking about uh, a new series that he's he's bringing to us called uh, This We Know. It's an, all about the upper room discourses, and so we're looking forward to that. Uh, today, what I wanted to, to bring to you is is something that I've been thinking about uh, over the last few months, is something that um, is really kind of close to my heart and and uh, how I approach youth ministry, which is what you've all... Hired me for to be here and and to speak to your to your youth, and it's it's really exciting uh, time for me, as I, as I get to kind of um, you know express my heart to them and, and and tell them all about Jesus. But one of those things that I've been that I've really been uh, thinking about over the last the last few months is how we live our lives in this here and now space as Christians. And uh, what I'm going to do is get uh, get the magic of YouTube and throw up a, a chart here that you can all look at. Uh, and this chart is uh, what has been commonly known as the Gospel Gap, okay? And so we have an understanding uh, as conservative Baptist Christians uh, that Romans 2, 8 and 9 brings forth that we are saved by grace. And so Romans 2, 8 and 9 uh, says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You know? And so through that, we, we believe that when we come to Christ, all of our past forgivenesses, or all of our past sins have been forgiven, um, and we've been justified before him, and we've been saved. And we also know that that grace allows us to look forward to the future and to have a future hope and know that one day we will be fully saved uh, and, and, live in, and live in that space with him and live in heaven with God in his, in his physical presence. But the, but the question often comes up, uh, especially among especially on youth trying to really figure out their faith, um, how do we live in the here and now? And where do we live in this faith, in this space, in this gap? What is it that fills this gap? And over church history, we've actually filled that gap with a lot of things, um, things like formalism. You know, and formalism being uh, the things that we do: we go to church, we read the Bible, uh, we pray, and we fast. Uh, these kinds of things are the things that we put in. In that gap in hopes that they they will save us but of course we know Romans 2 8 and 9 that that's not what saves us but it doesn't stop us we we continue to try and put other things in there like legalism the things we avoid doing the sinful things so we don't drink smoke or chew or go with girls that do and you know that's I can I my mom's not in the room right now but I can hear her laughing right now because that's something that she always used to say to me as a kid, as a young kid. Don't we don't drink, smoke, or chew or go go with girls that do. All right, and so that's but that's all like legalism type stuff that we that the avoidance of that kind of thing is what saves us. But that's not true at all. That's not true either. Um, so, we try and f- so we try and fill it with formalism, legalism. Sometimes we do mysticism. Um, so the idea that you're just kind of continually chasing a spiritual high. If you've ever been to like, a Christian conference or something, you come out of that Christian conference being feeling like totally blessed and knowing that the Spirit moved in there and you ha- you're on this high. And so we sometimes as Christians we fill that gap with this, chasing that feeling of just trying to get that spiritual high again, you know, but then other times we fill it with things like activism, trying to do things for Jesus. Um, the good things like going on mission trips, building schools, feeding the poor, that kind of thing. We try and fill that gap with that. We fill it with bi- Biblicism. So the more that we know about the Bible, maybe that's what we're gonna sa- what's going to save us. If we're really smart and we know every single important Hebrew, Greek, A- Arabic word that's in the Bible... You know, maybe that's going to be what saves us, but that's not true either. There's also a psychology, what I would call psychologyism, and the idea that if I could just get rid of my depression, get rid of my anxiety, if I could just heal myself, then I'd be okay. But that's that's a recognition that you're in need of healing more so than you're in need of redemption. And finally. Finally, one of the last things that I would say we fill that gap with would be socialism. And not the political socialism that's really popular to talk about these days, but the socialism about getting together with your Christian friends and allowing the the faith and the feeling of being around your Christian friends be the thing that carries you through and the thing that saves you. But that's not true at all. Really, the truth, the thing that fills that gap, it's not the things we say, the things that we do, it's grace. And so here and now, we live in a state of grace. Our past has been forgiven by grace. And we know that our past has been forgiven and that we've been saved and we've been justified. And it's grace that we live here now, so we're in the process of continually being saved. And we look forward to our future hope, and we notice that grace that says that we will one day be fully saved but here and now today we need to understand that we are under grace and it's this grace that allows you and I to embrace the fact that we are and we are becoming the beloved of God it's not legalism it's not formalism or activism but it's grace that allows us to become the beloved people of God, and I use that word "beloved" specifically, and I want to use it specifically to establish a baseline of who we are in Christ. We are the beloved. Okay, and it's not a word that's been thrown around um, lightly. It's or it, or even just by me. It's it's a word that means something to a lot of theologians and a lot of uh, pastors and authors and spiritual thinkers. And I actually think the person that flushes out the, the, the idea of being the Beloved the best would be Henry Nouwen. And I actually, so a lot of what I'm going to be talking to you about uh, comes from this book by Henry Nouwen called Life of the Beloved. All right. So, if you do have a chance to pick up this book, it's a really, uh, really easy read. It's not many pages here? About 150 pages. You could probably read it in a day if you're a really good reader. Probably take you a little bit longer um, if you're not so much of a reader. But it's, but it's not anything too academic. It's just a really nice read, and and it explains his idea, this idea of living in the life of the beloved. Uh, really well, and so I'm going to kind of going to go through that uh, a little bit for you today, and and hopefully um, by the end of this, you'll have a better better understanding of where my mind is at as I continue my ministry here at the church. So, the concept of the beloved actually is found in the Gospels, and if you look at Matthew three sixteen to seventeen, Mark one ten to eleven, Luke three twenty one to twenty two, you'll come to the story of Jesus' baptism, and um, th- as the story goes, um, John the Baptist baptizes him He goes under the water. And as he comes up out of the water, the heavens open up and the Spirit of God descends down on, on him in, physical fo- in the physical form of a dove. And then a voice from heaven says and calls out, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that, that story itself, and that, and that, that voice, those words in that voice of God, rings have a special ring to my ears because those are the words that my dad used to speak to me um, when he was praying for me. Um, I don't necessarily remember any of the the, in the in-depth prayers of, that we that we had together, but I know that every single time that he sat down to pray for me, he always started, this is my son in whom I'm, I am well pleased. And so I kind of have a little bit of an understanding of the love that my father had for me based on the way that he prayed for me in that way, but also in how he backed it up in the way that he lived and how he supported me and how he encouraged me. So I have an understanding of this love that, that God is speaking on Jesus. But I also have an understanding of it based on my own experience with my own sons. And, and I actually remember as a youth, I never really related to the, the idea of, you know, father and son. And that, that impact really hadn't really hit me yet until I actually um, had two boys of my own. And it's really amazing how you just kind of want to be around them all the time. And it's, it's not in, not in a creepy way, but just in a way that's like, I'm just going to sneak, sneak into their room just so I can look at them, just so I can experience and and feel that love that I have for them. It's really, it's really an amazing thing. And so the idea of this, this father and son love, this love that the, the father has for their, for their son, it's, it's something that I, I intimately get. Um, and, but it's with, With that in mind, it goes to to show the strength of God's love for us individually as we read uh, passages like John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, his one and only beloved Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. So, God loved the world so much that this one and only son whom he called his beloved son that he loved so much allowed him to die for us so that we wouldn't die it's really an amazing it's really an amazing thing i I, the other day a couple weeks ago i took barrett to get his first covid vaccination which was i thought it was just going to be completely fine you know, and we were in there, and we got, we got into the room, and there was two nurses there, and the one, the one nurse was awesome. She had like a little picture board, and she was having him look for little, little, little animals and things in the picture board, and the other nurse was the one that was prepping the the, the shot, and as soon as as soon as she went in, and the the needle went into his arm, he just started crying, and. That just was a cue for me and I started crying and I was like bawling my eyes out because my son was hurt from a needle, which is something that he's done many times before, but it was for some reason this time it just really, really got to me. And, and so I can't imagine, you know, being in that place where I would allow my son to get hurt for somebody else. Because my love for my son is so is so great that I can't even handle him getting an injection, and I'm in tears when he when he's in pain, and so the idea that that God would love the world so much that He gives His only Son and sacrifices His only Son so that we might live, is amazing to me. And not to toot my own horn, but I think my own father would say the same thing about me. You know, I know I've given him a hard time over the years, but I think his love for me would be you know the same kind of love that I would have my, for my own son. And so it's it it's it's amazing to me that that's the kind of love that God has for us that the same voice that speaks his love over his own son, his own beloved son is the same voice that speaks over us, his beloved people. And it's incredibly encouraging to have that voice that speaks over us. Because I don't know about you, but throughout my life, I've had this cruel voice in my head. And it's a cruel voice that feeds on all of my past memories and all of my past mistakes. And it tells me just how worthless that this voice thinks I am. And it's really difficult to push that voice out of my head And so it's really encouraging when you read passages like, like this, when you, read, when you read about this voice that calls out and says that you are my beloved and I am well pleased with you. It's incredibly encouraging to have that knowledge that God loves us so much that he would sacrifice his son. But it can't just stop at that knowledge You know, it's because of Jesus' sacrifice that we can also pursue a life as the beloved ones of God and not just know that we are are beloved. From the moment that we claim the truth of being the beloved, we are faced with the call to become who we are. See, if we believe that John 3.16 is true, then everybody on earth here is loved by god and is the beloved of god but there are only some who take that extra step in becoming the beloved and that's what we're required to do and in taking that step we come to realize that this is a lifelong journey a lifelong journey of becoming the beloved it's a lifelong journey of tuning out that cruel voice that the world says that you are worthless you are, you are, you're nothing. And tuning into and listening for the voice of God who calls us his beloved, who calls us worth something. So to do this, going forward, to kind of flush out this idea of living the life of the beloved, of believing that God has... Um, Believing the words of God that says that we are the beloved, I'm going to flush that out using four different words. So the words I'm going to throw up here are chosen, blessed, broken, and given. So the beloved embrace their cho- embrace their chosenness. And the beloved embrace their blessedness. The Beloved embrace their brokenness, and the Beloved embrace their givenness. So first, let's look have a look at how the Beloved are chosen. The word chosen has a really special meaning in Scripture. Uh, if you look in the Old Testament, you talk the, the, old, the word chosen represents the Israelites and how God chose them and separated them as a, a special people. They made, them, they made them a special people. Um, and as we kind of follow the the history of the Bible, we know that um, when Jesus came, fulfilled the Old, Te- Old Testament covenants, created this new in order to create this new covenant that we now live under. We now live uh, and are included in that covenant as God's chosen people. Us here today uh, in this church, and. Um, some areas that we'll go to in Scripture, commonly, uh, and there's, there's definitely more than this, but the couple that I would like to kind of point out are Ephesians 2.10. Uh, for we believe that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared, prepared in advance for us to do. So the idea there being that we are created, we are God's creation, His handiwork, His masterpiece. And we are created in order to do good works. Uh, and the, the chosenness part comes in as, um, as, our, as we understand that God has prepared all of this in advance for us to do. So there's an, there's an idea of chosenness or an idea of forethought on the part of God that he, he, he thought about us beforehand. And chose us specifically for this time uh, in this place uh, here where we find ourselves today. Uh, another place we go to would be romans eight twenty nine for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and the image of his son being that beloved image that beloved son image we are predestined chosen to be conformed to that image of his son. So the truth that we need to hold on to here is that we, when we see ourselves as chosen, we know that we are being seen as special. Okay, so when we see ourselves as chosen, we know that we are being seen as special. As the beloved, we are God's chosen ones. And I mean that we have been seen by God from all eternity and seen as unique, as special, and as precious seen as unique, special, precious beings. Now, a word of caution here uh, that I think it's, re- it's really necessary to, to address is that um, being chosen does not mean that other, necessarily, people are rejected. Um, and that's a hard lesson that I've had to kind of put my head around because that's, that's often the way that we see things. In the competitive world that we live in, um, we, we often think about people... Who are chosen as people who have elite status and where there are people who have elite status there are, are inevitably going to be people who are rejected but i think an argument can be made uh, that god's love is so perfect that he can love without rejecting people um so the the chosenness that god has is not a competitive chosenness but a compassionate chosenness um so in in the same sense that we can't earn our salvation, uh, we can't earn our chosenness either. And it's a really it's a really difficult concept for, for me to wrap my head around it. Um, and so often, what I do when I think about the idea of predestination and being chosen, I often just chalk it up to one of those spiritual mysteries that I'm going to have to ask God about one day, because it, it it's really it's really not something that that I can really, really fathom in my own human state right now. But I think one of the important things to, to acknowledge is that uh, when the, the truth of our chosenness is something that we shouldn't use as something that will divide us. We've got uh, tons of stuff these days that's going to be dividing us. Uh, and our chosenness is not something that should be dividing us. In fact, what our chosenness should be doing um, is really humbling us and encouraging us individually. Um, because there's a, there's a lot that's going towards us individually, uh, to, working towards our own destru- our own destruction. It's a world full of pain, a world full of sorrow uh, and manipulation, and we're being manipulated all over the place by, by people, by situations, by, by um, the spiritual realm. There's, there's, there's a lot coming at us that's telling us that we're worthless. Um, but in the face of all that, what we need to do is be is is um, saying that, like, no, that's not who we are. We are chosen and taking encouragement in that. So practically, three things to practically practice our chosenness would be, one, to continually be unmasking those lies about who we are, um, those lies that tell us that we're we're not good enough to approach God uh, and, and that we're worthless. Um but then at the same time, uh, surrounding ourselves with people who are going to be truthsayers in our lives and you know I think about uh, the people of the staff around here who have been incredibly encouraging to me in 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 the last few months as I've started here and and speaking truth into my life just and encouraging me and telling me that uh, they're they're happy that I'm here and and blessing me in that way and it's been it's been it's been amazing and I would I would say the same thing about about my wife Crystal and how she is a truth-sayer in my life and she's the one the one person that probably that knows everything about me and knows all my intimate thoughts and yet when she when she hears those intimate thoughts she says she's able to look at those and say okay that one's not true that one's not true that one's not true and then she's able to put truth in my life. And so I'm incredibly grateful for her. But but third I would I would say that practic- practicing our chosenness would also be having an attitude of gratitude. Um, and going, I, I continually in my life go through a list of gratitudes that um, that it's, it's always developing. There's always something new that I'm grateful for. Um, but as I go through that list, I begin to see uh, the ways in which uh, God has chosen me for certain things and the ways in which um, others have chosen me and seen um, seen the good in me. And so So those three things there, practical, practical chosenness would be unmasking the lies, surrounding yourself with truth sayers and having an attitude of gratitude. But in in also in our chosenness, we've also been blessed. So as the beloved, we've been chosen, but we've also been blessed. And how we've been blessed is um, going back to this, the baptism of Jesus. Uh, God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And it's not just that we are loved, but we are also welcomed into the family of God. You know, so the the sense that when God looks down on us and he, he says those words, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, upon us and in our lives, he doesn't see our sin, but what he sees is the, the image of his son. And so when he's saying that, he's saying it as... As to people who are part of his family, who are with with his son and um, have been conformed to that image of his son and in his family, which is an amazing thing, and that's that's how we've been blessed. So you think about the family family dynamics; it's um, becoming heirs when when becoming heirs with Christ. um, So this is this is the whole the whole idea of. Being part of a family and everything that goes into the benefits that go into being part of a family, um, come with that, and it's an amazing blessing to be part of the family of God. Um, but how we can bless each other in light of that? Um, 1 Thessalonians five eleven says, "Therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing." Um, so as as people who received that blessing of being in God's family, we can continually be in encouraging uh, encouraging people encouraging the, the people around us within the church um, in their own beloved and blessedness and how they've and how they how God has um, and that God has brought them into our lives you know and to flesh this out um, I wanted to I wanted to give a give a shout out to all the people that have really um, blessed Crystal and I as we moved here and my boys, giving us presents and for presents for the boys and cards and, and and help with groceries and it's it's been an amazing thing, um, it's been giving someone giving somebody a blessing like that is the kind of the most affirming aff- most affirmation. Um, That you can offer the most affirming thing that you can do for someone is giving them a blessing um, of that magnitude to show that you that they're appreciated as the beloved of God. Um, And I specifically want to mention the Marie McLean and Joy McLean, who on Christmas Eve showed up at our door with a with a lovely card, um, but also about 50 pounds of chicken. And it really just it it blessed me beyond what I can really express as I as we we got this these two boxes of chicken stuffed it all in our freezer and then I sat down on the couch and I thought about my grandfather and my grandfather was a pastor um, about with the fellowship in London years and years and years ago Uh, in fact he was he was good friends with with Roy Lawson back in the day but unfortunately my my grandfather passed away when my mom was 14 so I never got to meet him and this was this was I guess it would have been back in the 60s that he that he passed, um, but the one story that my mom always tells me about him is that on Christmas he was called up to the front of the church, him and the family, and as a Christmas bonus they received a Christmas turkey, and so when Marie <laughs> McLean showed up and Marie and Joy showed up with uh, two boxes of chicken, I was I was blown away and I sat on the couch and I had a tear in my eye because I was like you know it was it was almost validation that i am where i'm supposed to be uh, and that i'm carrying on this legacy of my grandfather with this gift of poultry which was an amazing thing and so i'm really thankful for that uh, thank you marie and joy for that gift and that blessing that you've that you shared so it's that practical blessedness that i'm that i want to get across to you right now and practical blessedness is uh, practicing that presence of mind to first know when someone needs a blessing, and that's what the McLean family did for did for me. Um, but it's also having the presence of mind to know that when to know when you are being blessed, and I think that's one of the the big issues that we have these days is that um, there aren't many people who will take that step to bless somebody because there aren't people who are really wi- willing to receive that blessing because um, they don't know how You know, it's it's the the idea that um, when somebody encourages you it's like oh, okay well you just have to say that or when a mom says to their son oh i love you just as they're walking out the door you know it doesn't it doesn't really mean something but to actually but the feelings are there and, and everything is that there it just needs to be received uh, in a proper way. So imagine, you know, walking out the door and you hear your mom say, I love you. And you can turn around and say, you know what, mom, I really love you too. You know, and having the presence of mind to do that and accept that, accept it and, and be able to give it back as well. Um, and then now moving on to the next point, um, the the life of the beloved we we understand that we are chosen that we are blessed but we also understand that we are broken and I think one of the one of the characters in the Bible that has really experienced brokenness would have to be Peter and uh, the character of Peter and how um, throughout the Gospels the, the, the stories in 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 all of the Gospels there uh, about how he denied Christ three times and specifically I, I went to Mark uh... And at the end of Mark you know he's he's denied christ three times and then he remembers the words of jesus and the words of jesus were before the rooster crows or twice you'll deny me three times that you even know me and it was at that point that he broke down and he wept and so he understood what this brokenness really was and what this brokenness felt like Now we'll go back to peter in a second but i think the point that i want to make here is that our brokenness is most obvious in the ways that we approach uh, our relationships with others, and even in our sexuality, and I'm not going to make this sermon about that necessarily, but I do want to make the point that we have an intrinsic knowledge that community relationships, uh, intimate relationships, uh, they all produce joy, and so the joy of life comes from the ways that we live together. But the pain of life comes when we fail to do that well, Uh, and that's something that Peter failed at, doing that well. He loved Jesus. He had an intimate relationship with him, knew him, um, wanted to be around him, um, but he failed at... At doing, at, at having that relationship well, uh, when he when he denied that he even knew him, um, and so pain came out of that. Now suffering is often seen as as one of those unwelcome intrusions in our lives, uh, something that has to be avoided from avoided at all times, and so. Um, I think that's that's true today as it was back then. And so for Peter, what he ended up doing when he was going through all that pain uh, and that failure and that brokenness was he went back to the one thing that he felt that he knew how to do, and that was fishing. Uh, and we read about that story in, in John 21, where Peter goes back and he's on the beach and he says, you know what, I'm just, guys, I'm just going to go fishing. And so they all went with him and they all went out in the boat and they're throwing their nets out, not catching a thing. Um, but then they see, they see somebody on the shore, and that person on the shore yells out to them and says, throw your nets on the other side. And so they do, and then they are able to haul in a huge catch. And it was at that point that they realized that that person on the shore was actually Jesus. And Peter, in his impulsiveness, just jumps out of the boat and swims all the way to shore, and I think it's recorded that he gets there just as the other guys are getting there in the boat. But he didn't care at all. He just ran up to Jesus. And Jesus, I imagine Jesus being like, hey, hold on, man. You're soaking wet. You're out of breath. Just calm down. Grab some of those fish that you got. Bring them over here. We're going to have something to eat. Um, and at that point, after they've after they eaten, um Jesus kind of puts Peter in this situation where he almost forces him to deal with his brokenness in his life, his broken feelings that he's feeling, because he looks at Peter and he says, Do you love me? And Peter says, Yes, yes, I do love you. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, Feed my lambs. And Jesus says it again for a second time, Peter, do you love me? Uh, Jesus, and Peter says, yeah, You know I love you. And then Jesus says to him, take care of my sheep. And then for a third time, the same number of times that Peter denied him, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And so in that in that moment, what, what happens is Jesus actually forces Peter to deal with his brokenness to press into that brokenness and out of that he became reinstated and he and and was able to to get past the get past those feelings and understand his 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 worth in light of that and so for us it's 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 those times, and for for those of us who have found healing um, from suffering and from that brokenness, know that pressing in towards that pain is what helps. And that's what Jesus kind of demonstrated and forced Peter into. But I think another another practical way of addressing our brokenness is, would be just to simply memorize, memorize Scripture and... Uh, one of the one of the passages that I that I memorized is galatians 2:20 where it says i have been crucified with christ and i no longer live but christ lives in me and the life i live in the body i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me you know and so the truth of that passage is that in my brokenness in in the state that i was in i was crucified with christ and now i'm in a, a and i know i no longer live now but Christ lives in me, and the life I live here is a life that's been blessed, and um, and I live in that blessing because of what Jesus has done. And so, pressing into our brokenness and placing our brokenness under that blessing, there's some practical ways that we can live in this broken state that we are in. Lastly, we know as the beloved that we are we are chosen, we are blessed, and we are broken. But we are also given. Uh, and it's not the kind of given where we receive something, but it's the the, the kind of given that we where we embrace that we are being given. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's something that comes out of us, out of, out of those who um, identify as being beloved, we are then to be giving of ourselves. In the same way that Christ gave of Himself. And we go to 1 John 3.16 for for this. Uh, This is how we know that what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Um, We can also go to Ephesians 5.25 for the the husbands that are listening right now. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So if we are to... um, embrace this idea of being beloved we have to embrace the idea that we are to give our verse, give ourselves our greatest fulfillment lies in giving ourselves to one another as christ modeled in his own love so then the question then comes what do we what do we give are we required to give our lives completely are we are we talking about uh, giving our lives so that we die is that the kind of to, to the point of death is that the kind of love that we are that we are talking about and um, I think I think especially in these times of political unrest there's a lot to be said about how far we would be willing to go to stand up for the gospel but here right now today I'm not talking about standing up for the gospel I'm just simply talking about how you relate to someone personally uh, personally each day and um so the question that I would that I would ask you is like who are who are the kinds of people that help you the most, and I think what we would all come to the understanding of is that the kinds of people that help us the most are the ones who are willing to share their life with us, um, and so people who are willing to one give themselves in life, um, but two also being willing to give themselves. Um, in death, and I'll explain. I'll explain that part a little bit, a little bit more in a second. But the the ones who who help us, who share their lives with us, um, in life, are the ones who are kind of walking alongside us in our both in our brokenness and in our in the ways that we are, the ways that we are suffering. And I think of um, in John eleven, when uh, Jesus Jesus goes to uh, Mary and Martha after the after the death of Lazarus. And Mary falls at Jesus's feet, and you know, tells him, you know, if you he were here, he wouldn't have died. Um, and he and he picks her up and says, "Let's go, let's go, go to him." And Jesus ends up crying with her. And it says in the, in the shortest verse in the Bible, John 11:35, Jesus wept. And he was he was somebody that shared shared his emotions. Actually, shared parts of him with the people around him. So when I think about people in my life that have shared that have shared their life with me, I think about uh, my mentor Marvin Brubaker, who is continually building into my life and sharing and um, telling me of his his experiences, and it's it's the kind of it's the kind of relationship that I have that's that it's it's made it's made me a better person having having known him and having experienced the love that. Um, that God has for him as one of his beloved. Uh, and he's now sharing that with me. And it, it's, it's truly an, a, an amazing thing um, when somebody's intentionally doing that in your life. Um, and so I'm really thankful for, for, that, for that relationship with Marvin and having him in my life. But there's also, there's also a sense in which we give ourselves in, in death, and I think about a few years ago, I had another mentor. Uh, he was mentoring me the same way Marvin was uh, for about a year, but then he ended up passing, passing away. And it was one of those situations where I had he had given so much of himself to me, so much love to me, and I had opened up so much of myself to him that when he passed away, it was it was devastating. But I knew the reality of his love for me. I knew. I knew what it was, and it, and, and it was a, it was a, it was an intense, intimate love that could only come um, from someone who's intentionally giving of themselves the love of God that's overflowing in their life. Um, and I think that that reality is hitting close to home for a lot of us in the church today. As over the last few weeks, we've lost people that have been close to us that we've really known. I think about the Lane family now. And, and having lost Lori, and, and as well as just this past week, we think about the Bardwell family who, who lost Ken, and we think about Frida and the family now, um, and the pain that they're going through. At the same time, we, wanna, we also want to acknowledge the reality that these people were the beloved children of God. And as the beloved children of God, they knew how to love their family. And there's a legacy there of love that they've experienced because they understood the love of God that they had in their own lives. And so that's something that we can be grateful for and it's something that's just a model that we can follow as as we live our own lives today. How is it that we want to be remembered as it and it's really as people who share the love of God and share the truth of our belovedness. And so as we go back to that that gap in 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 where we're living today between our past and our past forgiveness and our future hope. Uh, What is it that fills that gap? It's not legalism, it's not formalism or biblicism or any of those things, but it's the grace that fills that gap, and it's grace that allows us to live as God's beloved who are chosen by the God of eternity, have been blessed beyond measure, and blessed to be part of the family of God. Um... Who embrace our brokenness and allow that to be something that um, builds us up rather than tears us down and and also embraces this givenness uh, where we give up our lives to each other um, and both in life and in death and so as we as we as we go from here today um, you know there, there are some practical things that I that I offered to you there. I just pray that you would um, think about those things and and how you can live as the beloved of the beloved children of God in your lives today. So let's pray, Father God. I give you thanks for this time. I give you thanks that you have called us your beloved children and that you are well pleased with us. Um, I ask that as as we as we as we go out, that you would help us to um, give of ourselves to the people around us uh, and show your love uh, to the to the people that that we interact with each day. We think about uh, the Lane family, but also the uh, the Bardwell family tonight and, and the losses that they're feeling. Um, but thank you that they that they have been families that experienced your love and know your love and. Um, practiced it each day. Say so thank you for them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.